This is The Dark Ride with Mr. Dark. Back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for episode two. It is I, your host with the voice of gold, like the golden ticket. Mr. Slugworth won't get an everlasting gobstopper from me, Mr. Dark, reminding you to keep all hands and arms inside the vehicle because this is the Dark Ride. It's week two, so that means this is an entertainment episode, the first of its kind. For the next little while, we'll be diving into the world of all things media. Movies, music, video games, even other podcasts. I'll be talking about stuff I like, stuff I didn't, and the stuff that's coming your way soon enough. I've got a note before we get started that I'm feeling a little under the weather, so the voice of gold is a little bit tarnished. But I didn't want to delay it over a minor roadblock like a head cold. I apologize if the quality isn't up to the usual dulcet, soothing snuff that it usually is, but I'm sure we'll get by together. Podcast fame and fortune wait for no man. They certainly don't wait for this man. So let's get started with whatever this stuff is. I've been writing about the entertainment world for over 30 years now, so it's about time I started talking about it, don't you think? Well, I don't care what you think. I'm doing it anyway. Let's get started. We're going to start off with some movie talk. Look, it's old news, but it's still in theaters, and it's the best movie of the year, so I'm talking about it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Are you tired of hearing about it? Sorry, not sorry. When I say it's the best movie this year, and has very little chance of being dethroned from that seat, I'm not exaggerating. It's absolute joy distilled into pictures and sound and shoved into your eyeballs at a billion miles an hour. It's the dumbest nonsense you've ever seen, and it will cause you to rethink your entire life more than five years of therapy. Take these words as serious as a train wreck, folks. This is as much as I'll tell you, as much as you should know. Watch nothing else. No trailers, no nothing. No nothing else. Just go watch the movie. Preferably on the big screen while you can. It's as cinematic as hell. Evelyn Kwan is played by Michelle Yeoh, who is the Empress of All Things. Not not in the movie, that's just me being clear about who Michelle Yeoh is. Evelyn is stuck in a very deep rut. The laundromat owned by her family is troubled. The IRS is auditing her and her husband, Wayne, who is played by Kehui Kwan. Yes, that's short round and data from your past. He's 50 and he's back. He is now the hero of the entire universe. Again, that's not a spoiler, that's who Kehui Kwan actually is now. Their daughter is gay and has come out to them, and it has caused yet more trouble in their already rocky relationship. Their daughter is played by Stephanie Hsu, who is the grandest of all queens who ever rocked the multiverse. That, again, is just me talking about Stephanie Hsu, who runs away with a movie chock full of literal movie gods. But it also might be a spoiler, so I guess you'll need to go watch this movie now to find out, right? To make things worse, Evelyn's estranged father, played by James Wong, is coming to live with them, which they can't handle, she can't handle, nobody can handle. James Wong, of course, has been in 700 films, I'm not making that number up, 
and is the emperor of all filmmaking. And if I have to explain this to you, just mail yourself to me in a self-addressed stamped envelope so I can slap you severely and mail you back to wherever your ignorant ass came from, okay? All of that sounds boring as all hell, right? Well, then everything everywhere happens all at once and the greatness flows out of the screen and into your skull and hits the puree button and makes a lively gray smoothie out of your brains that tastes like wonder and tears and happiness. I cried so many times I lost count from laughing, from joy, from pathos. I can't explain what this movie does to you, but I must tell you this. Don't eat hot dogs. Grab some popcorn. Some nachos. Stay away from the hot dogs. Trust me here. Oscars for everyone, especially Shu, Quan, and Wong, or we riot. Hollywood will burn. They will go to the multiverse where everyone has dog treats for genitals and all the dog pounds are full. <coughs> Video games. I've got to talk about this new video game, and I'm going to piss off a certain block of people in the process. This block of people are particularly stupid, though, so that's okay. There's a game out there called The Suicide of Rachel Foster. It's what you'd call an adventure game, although that's a generous label. It's not a walking simulator, as they say these days, but it's just above it in interactivity. There are two possible endings. There are semi-sorta kinda puzzles that are more like interactive segments than true puzzles, and there's nothing remotely like dialogue trees, inventory management, or other true adventure elements. It's an interactive, exploratory experience where you can choose between two possible endings. Kind of. What has made this game notable has also made it notorious. People are losing their proverbial feces over this title, and while I was interested in it before I saw this, afterward I was compelled to check it out. The story is simple. You're the surviving daughter of a very broken marriage. In the 1980s, you lived in Montana in the mountain lodge the family owned and ran while your father continued to work as well as teach and tutor local kids. You grew up there into your teens. Then it happened. It was revealed that your father was having an affair with a local girl. This led to the immediate end of your parents' marriage, your mom taking you and fleeing, and you both never returning. The girl you see was 16. She committed suicide after the affair was revealed. It was discovered she was with child. Now, years later, your father has died, leaving you the lodge. He'd lived there the whole time, alone, lodge locked up, a pariah for what he did. You're returning to check the building out, remove anything you want to take, and then the building will be sold. A snowstorm traps you there for longer than you want, and hijinks ensue. Given that one very specific plot point, you can probably guess where the <clears throat> fecal loss is happening. Look, you don't need me to tell you that this country is absolutely out of its mind when it comes to underage people and sex. Some are even positing that 18 is too young for consensual sex, depending on the age of the partner. While societal mores otherwise become more liberal and open, this issue just keeps getting more and more conservative, and the reaction to this game has certainly been a perfect example. The reactions I've seen, even from some actual media outlets, not just random YouTube reviewers, has been pure hyperbole. The stuff of the weekly world news. I've seen it called pedophile propaganda. I've seen it labeled, and I quote, the most disgusting game ever made. 
can prove that wrong with about 15 different suggestions, but that's beside the point. Well, well over 50 if we involve Japan. Now, we have to have a quick discussion. No, I'm not one of those guys, but it has to be said. There's zero pedophilia in this game. That term is abused terribly in modern American society. It means something. I didn't make that up, but it means something. It means sexual attraction to prepubescent girls. Attraction to post-adolescent yet under the age of consent people is called a feebophilia. I didn't invent the words, but words mean things. They exist for a reason. You can't just swap them out all willy-nilly because you feel really strongly about something. The reason is that if you can't see a very massive difference between an elementary school kid and a high school kid when it comes to sexual maturity and consent, I just don't know what to tell you. I can't debate an issue like that. There's no logical ground to get on to even start a discussion. One group has absolutely no basis for consent. The other group is out there actively engaging in consensual sex with each other so often it's considered a major issue in the nation today. I'd say there's quite the chasm there. So no, you can't go slapping the term for the one over the other just because you're all squicked out. But that's what the criticism is of this game. Equating the activity of the characters in this game, sexual activity of a high school-aged girl, with child sex. And that's just stupid. There's no good other word for it. I can't soften that up for you. People who say that are complete idiots. Now that we've addressed that, here's some Texas-sized truth. The story, no spoilers, is a very well-written examination of an event of this sort that, unfortunately, does happen all too often. There are no spoilers in saying that nobody wins here, because of course they don't. The game would be at fault if it showed them frolicking off to a happily ever after, but the title itself shows that we're not going to see something like that. His actions and choices destroy everyone associated with him. His life is over. He loses everything and spends the rest of his life as a hermit locked away in a decaying old hotel, obsessing with his love for the underage girl who he helped destroy. Rachel dies. Yeah, she fell in love with her tutor, but of course it was the tutor's responsibility to deny her and explain to her that, um, he's a married man in his 40s. He can't be having a sexual relationship with a 16-year-old girl. But he gave in to temptation, and she paid the ultimate price. Everyone else involved, her family, his family, all of them shattered and ruined forever. Even the town as a whole suffered in ways that are laid out as you explore the lodge and uncover the past after your character left. Nothing here is glorified. It's clear they were in love. Love can happen between a teenage girl and an older married man. That doesn't make it right. Could it be seen as tragic? If he'd said no. But he said yes, so you're watching a slow-motion car wreck. There's no beauty in that. That's why the adult has to say no, has to know better. But we also learn that her father was very immature in many ways. We learn why he did what he did, why he was foolish. Does that excuse him? Of course not. Understanding why someone does something wrong doesn't absolve them. It only helps us process the horror. And this is horror. Very well done horror. Good horror isn't just a matter of jump out, go boo. 
Good horror is about more than visceral fright, and having to wade through and unravel what happened is, indeed, horrific. It's a wide-awake nightmare. But yes, there's more afoot here. Maybe. And it's the maybe that's so, so good. This falls into a single haunted space game. In this case, a haunted hotel. It's so very haunted. But is it haunted by a ghost? Or just the abject nightmare created by what her father did with this girl he loved but never should have? The horror of destroying so many lives in a handful of selfish acts to satisfy his heart and lust. That can haunt a space just as much as any spirit. The game manages this in a way I've never seen done, and it's so close to being brilliant, but the game itself just isn't enough to do it. We're not able to explore enough, interact enough. For instance, th there's a rose in the slot where one key should be behind the front desk. Why? What does it mean? We never know. Only spaces key to the plot are ever accessible within the game. The limits are constantly frustrating. The freedom of movement is an illusion. You can only ever see vital things. Well, maybe. Maybe there are some things that are quick, not quite seen. I'm still not sure, which is good, but not quite good enough to be great. If they're there, they're brilliant and very realistic in a way I've not seen done in a game but I can't give them credit for what might be my imagination, so take that with a grain of salt. This isn't Bloober Team with obvious jump scares, but there might not be any attempted scares at all. I'm not sure. Which could be genius, or just the expanse of the setting and loneliness of the situation getting to me. I, I still recommend the game. It's a compelling story with some great twists and turns. They were brave enough to tell a dangerous story, which is so rare these days when everybody wants to play it safe. And clearly, some people just aren't intelligent and mature enough to handle that. They want everything black and white and simple, and the world itself is nothing but grays. This game? Lots and lots of grays. Everyone is smudged a little. Maybe even Rachel. It's out on almost every platform. Don't hesitate to give it a go. It's not a very long play. Maybe eight hours to get through. It's worth your time. And I would trust my audience to have the maturity and intelligence to be able to handle the subject matter and not flip out and hop on the interwebs and start screaming about how it promotes child sexuality. I've got to talk about something I've never had a venue to talk about before. Podcasts. What? A podcast talking about other podcasts? Absurd, you say. Yeah, you've got enough time to listen to other stuff. I love podcasts, and I'm going to turn you on to podcasts that are outside my network as well as the ones I'm affiliated with. Why? Because good work is good work. I'm a critic, the real deal, and journalistic integrity is what it is. Go listen to these guys when I tell you to. You'll have time to come back and listen to me. No. Really. C come, come back here. Fickle bastards. First episode, I have to talk about an obvious one. The best fictional podcast in history, hands down, no questions asked. How's that for a recommendation? <clears throat> Gotta put on <clears throat> my best Johnny Sims here. The Magnus Archives. Not as good as the chap himself, but I mean, who can be? Five seasons, 
200 perfect episodes. All over now, just waiting for you to go binge and discover. If you haven't already, because just a whole lot of folks already have, and rightly so, the Magnus Archives is an anthology series. Sort of. (laughs) Okay, they're fibbing and so am I. It starts that way. Jonathan Sims, the characters named after the creator, has taken a position as the archivist at the Magnus Institute in London. Seems many of their records are on paper, and he's to read them and convert them to audio. Simple enough. They collect reports of the odd and unusual. Ah, so it's a collection of weird little Twilight Zone-ish stories, each week a new one. Sounds straightforward. What's the big deal? Because after a while, without getting into spoilers, you start to notice some common tropes. Certain details that stories start sharing. The archivist starts to notice this as well. He also starts to note that the powers that be at the Institute don't seem to be entirely on the up and up with him, and some of his co-workers start becoming involved. As the series continues, what started as a simple little anthology show with Johnny reading a new creepy story each week becomes a massive work set in an entirely new universe of his creation that is bigger, better, and more terrifying than anything Lovecraft or Stephen King ever put to paper. It's all a plan, you see. Five seasons, 200 episodes. It's been a plot all along, and by the time you find out, you're hooked all in. Caught in a web. Oh, God, you'd better hope it isn't a web. That, 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 that would be very bad. Webs are bad. Stay clear of the webs. Go listen to this. All of it. It's about half an hour an episode. Trust me when I say before long you will be sleepless, swearing you can survive without the next half hour of rest. You just need one more episode. Dear God, just one more Assuming you aren't all gone diving down the rabbit hole that is the Magnus Archive. Oh, dear God. I hope that was a rabbit. Those were ears, weren't they? Let's chat music for a bit. I just found this band called Wargasm out of the UK. Not so much a band as a duo. The bassist is a girl named Milky Way from Northern Ireland who models when she isn't singing clean vocals. The guitarist is named Matlock. Sam to his friends and people he hasn't murdered yet. He screams like a banshee covered in burning tar. They sometimes have a drummer when Matlock isn't fighting him to the death on video like in Backyard Bastards. And they now have a lead guitarist, I guess, that's shown up in a video like a Bigfoot sighting. But the band is Milky and Matlock, and that's all you need to worry about. As for what they sound like, picture if Mickey and Mallory from Natural Born Killers started a band instead of going on their spree. Imagine if Deontverd were from the UK and were really into Slipknot and Tarantino movies. They're Lemmy Kilmister's adopted grandkids. They're what would happen if Harley Quinn and Captain Boomerang had to go undercover for the Suicide Squad at one of those massive European metal festival shows and were under strict orders to only kill people during the show that really, really deserved it. It's electronic, it's punk, it's danceable, it's heavy... The lyrics are social, political, and excessively violent. The videos are likely to get you put on a watch list. They've only released singles up till now, but their latest single is off their upcoming full album due out sometime later this summer. The single is called <clears throat> D-R-I-L-D-O. Yes, 
It's an acronym. I don't know what it stands for. I might not want to know what it stands for. And it's a monster. The video has them playing in a club full of, shall we say, alternative people, when a strike team made up of a massive bald guy and a bunch of guys in body armor and wolf masks carrying rifles storm in to kill them. Absolute chaos and ultraviolence ensues, and it does not go well for the interlopers. The song includes breakdowns so filthy it's like licking the toilet in the bathrooms of the late great CBGBs in New York. Rest in peace. I'm so sorry I never got kicked in the head by a stage diver in you. They're speaking for their generation, and what they're saying is that the generation before them is actively trying to kill them so they'd better get a head start. The revolution starts in the pit. Everyone bring your own weapons because Milky and Matlock are already strapped. Check out all their singles on the streaming service of your choice. They've got tons of videos to get your significant other to break up with you and your parents to throw you out of the house on YouTube. And that full-length album comes out, well, they aren't saying. Later this summer is as close as they'll get. But when it does, um, you might want to listen to it quick because by the time you finish your first listen, the revolution's probably going to start and things are going to get really messy. It's been said of my written work that my best reviews are when I get grumpy. Well, we're about to find out because I'm here to talk about Ms. Marvel, a.k.a. Marvel's first big screw-up. Ms. Marvel debuted in comic form several years ago and took off like a rocket. The original, clever, extremely well-written tale of a, quote, small brown girl, unquote, saving her town and maybe the world, was some of the best work mainstream comics had seen in years, and it brought in countless new readers to Marvel and comics in general. It deftly balanced a relationship and lifestyle comic covering Kamala Khan's life as she juggled her very real Muslim faith and upbringing with just being a real 16-year-old girl in modern Jersey City, New Jersey in America, clashing with her parents, her community, her peers, and just trying to find her place in the world, the character of Kamala was one of the most refreshing and just plain real Marvel characters in longer than I could remember. Not settling on being a simple teen comic about the travails of this girl, Ms. Marvel was also the best street-level hero comic since the glory days of Spider-Man, balancing family, school, and her desire to do good like her hero Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, the newly inhuman Kamala used her shape-shifting powers to fight threats big and small in Jersey City, a forgotten suburb of New York. In doing so, she discovered herself, her place in her family and community, and yes, her place in the world and the Marvel Universe. The book was infectious, charming, and Kamala was a massive hit. So, why not just adapt that? You'd have a massive hit show, popular with teens and adults, the first real hit continuing show for Marvel on Disney Plus that isn't just a launching pad for something in the movies. I'll get to that in a minute. But they didn't do that. At all. Ms. Marvel was not adapted to the screen in any way. Instead, we have this other hero named Kamala Khan. Same family, same friends, but an entirely different origin and power set that makes her cosmic, so she can measure up to Captain Marvel. Gone are the shape-shifting, embiggen powers from the comic, which make her strong enough to beat up small bad guys, but that's about it. And here is a magic bangle from her great-grandmother that brings out quote-unquote cosmic energy from inside her that allows her to shoot out blue forms, almost like Iceman without the ice. 
Nothing remotely like the Ms. Marvel from the comics. See, Marvel wants to get rid of Brie Larson. The rumor has been rumbling since the sequel to Captain Marvel turned into The Marvels. Whether they're giving in to toxic fanboys or the rumors that she's difficult to work with are true, the writing is on the wall. Photon from WandaVision and Miss Marvel are in. This is not going to go well. No, she doesn't remotely resemble Ms. Marvel. But that isn't my primary problem with the show. The show is stupid, badly written, and looks like a Disney Channel show from the early aughts. The first episode isn't terrible, and I suspect it was a pilot, better funded and given more love. The second episode, where the story deviates almost completely from the comics, the writing just dives right off the deep end into an Olympic-sized swimming pool of garbage. Conversations are clunky, action scenes are poorly planned and awkward, and worse, are just incredibly stupid. Kamala's big public debut as Ms. Marvel includes a little boy falling out of the window of a mosque. For no reason. Literally. In a cringe-filled moment, after this happens as he's dangling from a curtain, he actually says, How did I get here? As if the writers wanted to tip the audience, We did not want to write this scene. This scene is stupid. More importantly, as kind of already referred to, Jersey City is sir not appearing in this film. She's not a small brown girl trying to save her town. This isn't a story of a Muslim Pakistani teenager trying to find her place in her city, but also within her own Muslim Pakistani community. No, this is about saving the Muslim Pakistani community she's grown up in. The villains are the same from the comics, but their motives? Racism. Yawn. Instead of the nuanced, interesting story from the comics, we get a tale of a Muslim girl protecting her Muslim community from the racist, non-Muslim government group who assumes they're terrorists. Because we've never seen that story before. And it's all written with the quality of a Hannah Montana episode. Late in the series. With the same cinematography and visual effects. You look at all of the other Marvel shows on Disney+, and they all look fantastic. Even Hawkeye nailed the gritty crime drama look and feel for the most part. It didn't look cheap at all. Moon Knight was gorgeous. Loki, Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, they looked like movies. This looks like something made for TBS. Tune in on Thursday nights right after Home Improvement to see Ms. Marvel. She's brown and she's taking the bad guys downtown. Her magic bangle is one part Hollywood, one part Bollywood, and all parts super. Don't miss Ms. Marvel on the Superstation. I'm done with it. I wasted two hours of my life on it. I'm not wasting anymore. We'll see how the Marvels looks. Might be the first MCU movie I skip in the theaters. I even paid to see Ant-Man eventually, despite what they did to Edgar Wright. And it sucked. No lie. Huge mess. This? This sucks worse. <coughs> On that sour-flavored note, I'm going to call it a week and wrap up episode two. I need two shots of bourbon. Medicinal purposes, you understand. I also need some Korean soft tofu stew. That stuff is so spicy, you will be decongested, and it's full of vitamin C and ginseng and other stuff. I can't afford it, though, so I'm going to dump enough gochujang in some ramen to melt my face off and hope that does the trick. Next week, oh, you're in for a treat, my normal listeners. Next week, we take our first excursion into the weird. If you don't know what you're getting into, 
Good! You'll be entertained, educated, and maybe a little creeped out. Don't miss it. Subscribe now and make sure you're here when that one drops. It promises to be a doozy. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. And remember, hold on tight. Make sure your seatbelts are connected because life is a dark ride. These are the credits. Don't skip them. These people are important. All content written, produced, recorded, and otherwise the responsibility of Justin Dark for This Is A Dark Production Company. All rights reserved, 2022. Podcast logo courtesy of Evangelist 7. Thanks, Jimmy. Production company logo and artwork courtesy of Designs That Kill. Thanks, Laura and Tyler. Contact us at darkproductionco at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at darkprodco. That's D-A-R-K-P-R-O-D-C-O. Darkprodco. You get it. Contact us there. This is a dark podcast.